This is TFT, the Theory for Turntables podcast. I'm Matt, and that's Ryan. Ryan, would you forgive me if I danced in your shower? Hey, Matt, enough about me. Let's talk about you for a minute. Hey, enough about you. Let's talk about life for a while. And we are not alone. We are joined uh, by our punk correspondent, Rachel D. Hey, Rachel, all I want is just some intellectual intercourse. Well, life has a funny way of sneaking up on you. Life has a funny way of sneaking up on you, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) It is time uh, to return to one of my favorite uh, occupations on this podcast. That is the female singer-songwriters of the 1990s. Um, The best... This is just normal music, and all other music is genre music, right? This... <laughs> For me, you know, um, this is just where I live and where my heart is. And we are talking about Alanis Morissette's international debut, not her first album. She recorded two, like, Tiffany esque dance poppy albums in Canada. Uh, the first one was a commercial success, the second one, slightly less so, um, before she moved to Los Angeles, got paired up with Glenn Ballard as a producer, and uh, in 1995 released Jagged little pill which went on to conquer the universe and has sold 17 gazillion copies and uh has spawned a, any number of of singing imitators and uh and karaoke nights and uh just just went on to be pretty glorious this album i gotta say this was a pleasure to return to like jagged little pill is not the sort of thing that's necessarily in my rotation even in my nostalgia rotation um because you just think uh you think like um a couple things about this album one you think is like would he go down on you in a theater right and the other thing you think is isn't it ironic don't you think and it's not it's not that it, there's so much more than that right like that's the that's the cynical view that's you know that's just if your heart is dead inside if you don't understand love uh then that is what you think Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill is that's not what we think because we've we've been uh listening i don't know how about you guys did you uh well i, I- say that those two songs are glorious yeah, <laughs> even yeah. if you think of, you can think of them and think of them fondly as well uh but you're right that that it is i think um what i had forgotten about jack little pill um is even how it starts and and you know all i really want i believe was the last single on the um on the album um and and so it was interesting to remember that the album started with that because this is one right six there were six singles from this album so it was approaching the thriller threshold of like you know nearly every the proportion of songs on the album um that are that are singles that that chart um and so i think a lot of my experience i mean i definitely listened to this album a few times through um but i think my experience was as the collection of singles that dominated um the airwaves and mtv for a you know a stretch basically going for much of the better part of 1995, all of 1996, and a good chunk of 1997, right? Um, so there's a huge chunk of that, like, m- where the mid-90s uh, are becoming the late 90s, where this is there. Um, but I think that understand, like, hearing 
all I really want starting the album. It already was very different, and I think that it front loads a different kind of set of the sonics and and singing um, and and the songwriting um, than I think. Um, like the heavy kind of the then the kind of uh, you ought to know and ironic, which still are the kind of like you say they're the karaoke night jams that uh, that persist. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was sorry, Rich. I was I was uh, wondering if you were going to jump in. Oh no, go ahead, Matt. <laughs> no, uh, no, I ought to know. <laughs> Not to interrupt you. No, no, it, it really, it, uh, please, Matt, please. I, uh, I, I, I'm not going to let the, I, I, there's no female rage here. <laughs> there's no female rage. <laughs> not, not from this quarter at the moment. <laughs> not not at, yet. Not at the moment, but the, the podcast, the podcast is young. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, um, I don't know. This this was another one that, like, from my childhood, the, L.A.'s alternative rock station, K-Rock 106.7, played a big role in breaking uh, this particular... Uh, this particular album because they started playing you ought to know on on and the rotation on k-rock like back in the day was really tight so if you were if you were listening to it you probably heard it like three times by making your your mom tune to the station on the drive to school you know that uh uh it and it just it just got in so i mean i feel like there are there are three or four different jagged little pills right Mm. like (laughs) there's 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 the red jagged little pill and the blue jagged little pill. No, the um, that uh, the, and one of them like is the screaming rage jagged yeah. little pill that that Rachel alluded to. Um, another one is the slightly uh, you know, is this slightly folkier jagged little pill mm-hmm. of maybe like uh, hand in my pocket, head over feet, and ironic. You know, and then mm-hmm. there is, and then there is a like, there is the jagged little pill of, uh, of perfect, and maybe not the doctor, and you know, some of the uh, forgiven, maybe right that that like is, uh, um, I don't know. These these are ones that were not that were not singles, right? Uh, right. That and and probably probably wouldn't have been. Um, under any circumstances, it, 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 uh, it's interesting. I, I, you know, I, in preparing for this, I went and listened to the, uh, 10th anniversary acoustic, um, uh, acoustic version of this, that was commemorative version that Alanis recorded. And it's funny. There's this effect of like reversion to the mean, um, Mm. where all the bangers are kind of toned down, but all the whiners are sort of lifted up, you know, uh, it's bangers and whiners, you know, it's, uh, and, uh, the, the, um, the thing is this like really pleasant coffee house album, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and that's not, that's sort of, and it's interesting because it highlights some things about the, the songs that are, uh, that, that are interesting to hear. It's interesting to sort of hear them in, into new, in a new context, it throws them into relief, but it's also, I feel like the high variants, the high, like the, the kind of like, um, the sort of, uh, like manic and depressive episodes right of this album Mm. are sort of what give it a lot of its charge and what make it 
you know, what make it compelling in some measure. So it's interesting. It's like, like when, uh, when, when you're listening to the acoustic version, it's like, she's taken the jagged little pill and it's all flattened out. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's medicated. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other, the other question I had for you is, uh, when you listen to the, uh, acoustic version, how many, uh, crows did you count uh, <laughs> on that listen? Uh, because I do think, um, you just, know, just talk, one, yeah. just one for sorrow. Right, because <laughs> uh, I do think though that and we'll talk a little bit a bit more about context. But I, there's a number of trajectories that I think come together in this album, which I think is what made it such a success. But I do think the kind of like the kind of singer songwritery arc of the '90s, which we kind of talked about a lot on Counting Crows. Um, is one that kind of passes through here um, and is, is, I think, as you say, I think that there were other um, singer song, female singer-songwriters of the 90s before Alanis, but I feel like there were a lot more after her, right? And, and I feel like there, it just crops up a lot more heavily in the latter half of the 90s. Um, and and, uh, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure you'll, you have a perspective um, on that because that is your, that's your zone. That's your zone. We're entering, I mean, I feel like we're, uh, we're at the inflection point where, uh, you know, I, I, am, I, was, I was definitely in my zone and now I am exiting my zone. You know, <laughs> that like as, the, as the 90s sort of slides down into uh, uh, into uh, Britney Spears, into Baby One More Time, more or less, and Genie in a Bottle, right? Like, um, it's not, it's difficult to, I, I don't know, I, I, I find less stuff that I want to, uh, that I hang on to in quite the same way. Now, I, I appreciate those Max Martin, sort of the first coming of, of uh, Max Martin, you know, I appreciate those tracks, but... Um, it doesn't. It doesn't have the same place in my in my heart. I mean, there there always is a discourse when there's kind of a path breaking, um, a path breaking music. Like this was true of punk. This was true of certain kinds of like industrial or early electronic music. In film, this was true of like Breathless with Godard, right? Where where someone will see something that's just a little, just a little too too uh, uh, alienating to be in the mainstream and say, God, I wish we could like course correct that by three degrees back toward the mainstream. And, uh, and we would have a commodity that we could, we could mass produce and sell at enormous scale. And like in my mind, Alanis was that this, and this record was that right. And, and I think that like the interesting thing, for me about going back to it is that it's actually stranger than I remember, yeah. you know, and that, that I, I was really, that was, that's pleasant to, uh, to know that something you had sort of written off, not exactly written off, but something that you thought you had a handle on had the capacity to, uh, to surprise you and to kind of make you sit up and take notice. Um, like, and, and I feel like her voice is a big, is a big part of this, right? Like the, the, uh, the, the Morissettian, uh, <laughs> you know, the Morissettian voice is, is, uh, such an instrument, such a part of, of what's going on here. Yeah. And I think, yeah, we should probably, we should, oh, sorry. Yes. Yes. Rachel. Um, but yeah, no, it's interesting. Cause I think for me, like revisiting this, I felt like I, I listened to this so much and, I actually feel like it was in some ways like less exciting than I remembered it. Like I was like surprised by how like the production kind of, I think flattened some of like the power of like the songs. 
and like what I think are very like good hooky songs and like very compelling lyricism and singing and it's just like but it's also this kind of like I don't know like Wilson Phillips went to the, on a roller coaster kind of production or something. It's like, it's just like, it's upsetting. It kind of like upsets me. I'm like, I want to hear. The, the rock is softer than you expected. Yeah, the rock is it's, softer it's than much, I remember. It's, it's more like the, the latest time album than you're comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I was like, kind of like, Oh, that's a shame. Like I was hoping to like revisit this and be and like, it's like, there's still like, I do think there's something weird there. And yet like the production is almost enough, like neuters it enough almost to like, to just kind of make me like a little disappointed. I mean, I guess the first, memory. the first song, the first sound on the album is like a harmonica, right? Right. Yes. yes. <laughs> and that I think is like truly like at least quirky, right? Like I'm like, all right. Oh, there's a lot of harmonica on this album. <laughs> I actually think that's like, to me, that's like, all right, this is kind of like some sort of like, it's like the folky jagged little pill, right? It's like that's like the folky strain of this, or um, the kind of like uh, wizened poet strain of like the album. Um, but yeah, I think it's like it's sort of I don't know. I just it's like I kind of wish I wish there was kind of a, a like more of this like you know visceral like rock sound that you could hear, yeah, like behind the tracks. I think it like. I feel like to, to like because it, it you know because I think her her voice and singing do pop, but I think that to to that point the fact that it has this production is what made it a banger and everyone's like SUV and what made it like an album that like I could listen to with my dad right mm-hmm. and like you know and it was somehow and it was fine so I do think there's something to be said for like. As long as you, you didn't know. listen too closely to the lyrics. Exactly. Yeah, you, you still have to skip you on the note, right? <laughs> I mean, you, can't, you don't skip it, but you like, you know, you kind of like, <laughs> you don't sing along. I think it. I would definitely have skipped you on a note. Oh, really? Oh, I, that was not a conversation. Oh, no. I was, well, my, I was I, wanting my to dad have liked anyway. the song, you know, <laughs> it was like it was the, the song was liked by my parents. I, 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 I lived in dread of the conversation of what did she just say? <laughs> like that that was not a conversation i needed to have with either of my parents uh, in 1995 or ever <laughs> yeah parent parents in the car radio not to derail us but that that is definitely an interesting phenomenon i once my my uh my mother once drove me and my uh 13 my eighth grade girlfriend somewhere and we were listening to like i think soundgarden on uh on k-rock and uh and when we afterwards my mother said to me matt don't make me listen to that crap again (laughs) she liked the the chugging guitars the sort of uh sort of wall of sound uh you know riff rock alternative riff rock grunge was not uh not uh, what she was into. She was a country music fan, though. All right, we should give people a chance to listen to uh, to this record. So go ahead and put us uh, on pause, and uh, you will find this record either more or less surprising <laughs> than you recall it. <laughs> Uh, but it's it will the be one of reactions. Like. <laughs> it's a wide, it's a wide reader response sort of domain, and uh, that's what we're excited about. So, so go ahead and listen through to Jagged Little Pill, and uh, return back here to us once we have had this word from our commercial sponsor. Are you trying to swallow a jagged little pill? <laughs> 
It's too big, and I can't break it up. Oh, <laughs> yes. How did Whoa. you know? Yeah, I just I saw. I mean, it, it's the the all the classic signs: gulping, panting, sweating, saying that it's too big and you can't swallow it down. Well, what if I told you there was a way to take those rough edges off and break it down to be even smaller? Oh my goodness! What tell tell me about this magic technology? It is a mortar. And pestle. <laughs> what? So I can crush his pill? Oh, yeah. That's what you do. You crush it, and then you could even snort it. Wait, I can snort it? It's safe for my nostrils? Yeah, or you can put it... Well, you can do anything. Once you crush your... Like, listen, we're the mortar and pestle people. We're not pharmacists. You, I got, you can rub it on your skin. You can, like, I mean... Probably, like, sprinkle it over your eyes. Oh, wow. All right, let me try. Oh, my God. I'm going to put more pills in here. Yeah, I, listen, we're just the fine makers of fine, uh, fine crushing implements in metal, uh, stone, and also wood. Now that this pill is such a fine powder, I can just sort of throw it at my problems and see what works. There you go. I think that's okay. But like I said, we just make the implements. We don't tell you what to do with them. Thanks, Mortar and Pestle. Thanks for giving me life advice. <laughs> well, at least you won't be choking on that jagged little pill. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> um, uh, you know, Matt and Rachel, I have a question wait, for you. Wait, you have a question? I have a no. question for both of you. You question. I feel like Mal is going to have a question. Now you question. Yes. Yeah, this is, this how is exciting. I was leaving. I, I don't have a good question. I, I was kind of trying to leave it open. I was going to default to mine, but uh, I'm glad. Oh, no. I'm, I'm glad Ryan came in, though. Well, I have a question for both of you, and I think it's yeah. because as as this table is already set, you guys may have different answers to this question, mm. um, and so it's a. It's a jagged little pill fight. Uh, uh, so Matt and Rachel, this Alanis, with her with her range and her intonations uh, and her and 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 her the the high notes that she reaches for, is she a good singer? <laughs> I mean, Rachel, are, are we going to have to say that the answer here is a qualified yes? I think, well, the answer is always a qualified yes. <laughs> or, or, or is your answer a qualified no this time? I, for me, I mean, I think my instinct is really more qualified no. But like I said, I think on this podcast, it's always a qualified yes. It's always a qualified yes. I, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about her singing. Uh, I was feeling kind of like at times, like I felt like it was... There are times where I think it's like she uses her voice to to the song's benefit. And then there are songs on this album where I think it's like it's all a little overreachy and histrionic and not so great. Is there an example that you have? uh, Like, I think think for me, the song Perfect is kind of like the first. I think you have the two first songs are really strong. And then it doesn't seem kind of like the the kind of like nice kind of like a. not nice, I guess it's not right to put it. It doesn't kind of have, like, the bite and personality to me in the same way as, like, her more sort of rock singing. Mm-hmm. And I'm putting that in quotes. You know, it just... There are times where it's, like, there's, like, too much, like... I'm not sure whether she's trying to sing... Like, what she's 
trying to do with her singing. Whereas I feel like in the kind of sort of the singles, you I have a better sense of kind of like what the aim is hmm. with her like vocal performance. Yeah, the ba- Matt, the, the banger they're they're the the screamers and the whiners, right? Like in that like right. and and the screamers hmm. seem to work very well. Um, and yeah. the, and the whiners seem to, seem to work a little less well. Cause you actually, I mean, she na- in the hidden track, uh, she name tracks Joni Mitchell and like, there's an example of sort of a perfect voice for the whiners, right? Like a slow, there's this, a, you know, for slow ballads, for plaintive singing, right? Uh, could just bring a kind of beautiful, round, you know, perfect tone to it. And, and that's definitely not Alanis. I mean, my, my, yeah, my answer was going to be a, a, the mirror image of Rachel's, more or less, as a qualified yes, which is that, like, no, she's absolutely not a good singer by the standards of, you know, b- classical bel canto, uh, right? Like a great American songbook, you know, opera-derived vocal technique, but she she uses her voice right as a as a means of expression, and that like I actually like I'm a little I'm a little surprised at how unguarded it is uh, because even the yeah. one you know today even the people who are very um, who are sort of raw, you know, are super processed. And like you hear things on this record like flat singing, like flat, just flat notes. Yeah. Yes. And you know, ne- and that never happens anymore. And to a certain extent, the technology didn't didn't exist uh at the time and i and like actually if you go back to a lot of music from this time or from you know uh even to sonata sonata or something like that you feel uh, the the pitch is not the kind of it isn't like achieved with the mechanical precision that we have today but um the uh uh you know uh, but like the the uh it it's um going to be a few years before on thank you she stands naked in the music video and sings uh, thank you india thank you providence right but she's pretty naked vocally here and i mean that uh i i would say that maybe it's not um it's not good in that it conforms to a standard of beauty but it is morally good <laughs> right <laughs> it is morally good singing to uh to sort of put herself at the uh to put herself at the the service of the kind of expression that she's trying to do you know yeah no i think that's that's an interesting point you make that you know this you really do hear I do agree that there's like something it's like never it's rare to like hear someone nowadays you wouldn't hear um like a mainstream like a singer female singer songwriter like sound this ugly right and like yeah. I do think unguarded is is a great way to put it like you do you know and it's and I think it's not just like even the ugly vocal performance but it's even like sometimes like kind of the the ugly lyrics and like the you know, like kind of willing to it, not afraid to sort of uh, be like look less than admirable but without, though, I think like talking about how she looks less than admirable. I, I don't know. I think I'm kind of like 
thinking of Halsey, for example. I was going to say, Jackalope Hill is great, but it's no, it's no hopeless fountain kingdom. kingdom. <laughs> um, um, let me just say that. It's, this could have used a little more Shakespeare. I guess my overall <laughs> note for most albums could have used more Shakespeare. Yeah, but go does on. Does it have more Shakespeare? No, but like, for you know, Halsey, I think, does a lot more like um, – kind of like self psychoanalyzing, right? Like she's diagnosing yeah, like I'm bad at love, right? Right. She's bad at love. She's she does this. She needs that, right? And I, I do think, you know, this does feel more more frank and more actually like vulnerable, right? Uh the the lyrics when when she wants to be sort of vulnerable, I think you know, she's like willing and, and able to actually come off as vulnerable rather than sort of talking about how she's ugly and vulnerable and upset and, you know, like feels this way or that way. Right. I also wonder, you know, this was like at the, on the up, uptrend of widespread adoption of SSRIs, right? And uh, kind of uh, Prozac, I guess, being the the, the marquee name um, in that class of drug. And, mm-hmm. and that, like, that Halsey lives in a in hmm. in a world where kind of pharmaceutical mood management has been normalized you know and and this is sort of pre that or or at least it's on the it it hasn't achieved its apotheosis yet right like and i i think there's something uh, there's something unique about the way she sees herself but i think there's something of its time about uh, like about the self conception um you know uh about the way the uh, uh about about the way that she kind of writes about herself and about her problems and um like in in uh, all I really want for example like there is there is some introspection um but it's it's a little bit more like uh i don't know it's it's a little less it's a little more tolerant of, you know, foibles, right? Like in a little less, like I'm good, I'm bad, right? There, there I go. Uh, uh, there I go jumping before the gunshot has gone off. Like, or, uh, I don't mean to pick you apart, you see, but I can't help it. And things like, uh, uh, things like that. It's, it's a, it's a sort of non pathologizing, um, uh, introspection. Yeah, and I, I think that I mean, I, I I noticed this in her writing as well. I think a, like a a related characteristic of her writing is these like holding of contradictions together, um, and 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 I, I think that the the song that always can crystallize that for me um, is uh, "Hand in My Pocket," right? And it's all these kind of um, you know the, the the structure of the verses. Um, is um, I'm this, but I'm this. I'm this, but I'm this. Right? Um, I'm I'm high, but I'm grounded. I'm sane, but I'm overwhelmed. I'm lost, but I'm hopeful, baby. Uh, and and I think it's this interesting kind of thing of this this, this I'm this, but also this um, is like it's breaking of dichotomies, right? So it's like it's not I'm broke, um, and um, and thus I'm not rich, right? kind of orthogonal dimensions <laughs> that like allow there to be, be um multiple facets right and i just i found that um style of writing um of kind of these playing with contradictions and whole 
holding contradictions. I mean, it's there kind of uh, in ironic as well. And there's a lot of the fixation of ironic. Um, there's a few other songs. And so I, I do think that fits with this overall. There's a there's a worldview here that is kind of um, and, and her self-presentation and way of looking at and thinking about herself um, uh, is consistent with uh, with this broader way of seeing the world. Right. That's I mean, that's the that's the thing about irony. And I, now I mean, like literary critical irony and not Morissettian irony, which I think right. is just a bummer. Um, but, uh, you know, irony is the 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 literary figure that. Um, uh, creates uh, two worlds, right? Like creates an, an expected or purported world, and then an, and then the actual world. And that, like, it is it is an ironic technique, right? To to say that uh, um, sort of the expectations, I you know, I I am these things, but I also thwart the expectations that you may may yeah. have of these things. Hey, so Ryan, in in terms of like the threads that you see coming together in this album, um, what are they principally, and what what uh, what do you think kind of uh, intertwines yeah. them here? Well, I think I mean the one one of them was, and I'm trying to think about it, these are two threads uh, or multiple threads. But there's definitely this. A, the, a singer-songwriter thread that I, I trace to our discussion of Counting Crows, I'm trying to decide whether Tori Amos is a separate thread from that or 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 that same thread. But in some of the 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 what we're kind of talking about in the unguardedness in the vocal presentation, um, even though I think the singing styles are are different, it it remind it was. At the time, one of the like stronger precedents for that kind of um, singing that I was aware of, um, and and I I see there being that kind of um, resonance there. I think that there is. I think that in in what Rachel was talking about with respect to the production and how it sounds now and how it kind of rocks the the bangers still bang less hard than you expect them to. Is I think a you also have this kind of heavily the the kind of heavy production um, thread of um, of alternative rock coming through. So some of the kind of the Butch Vig thread, right, that we talked about on Siamese uh, Siamese Dream, um, and that it kind of also sounds a little bit like things that we haven't discussed. But some of these. <laughs> Some of the kind of things like Primal Scream, some of these kind of late kind of bad, mad, Madchester kind of baggy type things where you have a little bit of these like drum machine loops, a little bit of these kind of the processed guitars is really a big part of the sound of this album. Right. And so that it's it's definitely it's 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 more like post grunge than it is grunge. Right. And it's and and. Um, and, and I think that the, you know, that it had the benefit of, uh, and it had the strategy of, of, of kind of putting you ought to know first, which in its, I think just the, the lyrical content fits the most with the early nineties. Right. And, um, and it kind of, it, it lives in a world, um, it weirdly can get put next to some Nirvana songs um, and some Pearl Jam songs and or Nine Inch Nails because of the kind of the the attitude um, and the subject matter, um, even if the sound is is a little ultimately a kind of a different strand. I guess the other kind of weird strand of 
that is here is I, I mean, I'm trying to remember when this when this broke. Um, but when did the Black Crows uh, hard to handle um, uh, come uh, out? Uh, let's see. Um, that was that was 1990. Um, and so that like that kind of like classic Rocky revivalism was even there um, as as grunge and alternative were cresting. And so there's this there's this element of like you know there being having the alternative rock door opened and carrying through a bunch of singer songwriter uh like kind of folky classic rocky and kind of producedness that is basically it's like there's an alternative rock size door um and basically pop came back through that door <laughs> um and uh and it's it's what's really it's 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 really fascinating um because i think that the yes there was um a later strand of of pop that comes in the late 90s that is the max martin strand but the other kind of strand of pop rock is your you know, your Matchbox 20s. We have some Dave Matthews bands is coming down the road. Um, and, and I mean, a female song, singer songwriters, um, you know, Natalie and Bruglia will be coming down the pike uh, a bit. Um, I believe Meredith Brooks is after this, but I could I could be wrong. Um, and there's a number of these kinds of, especially kind of singles that, um, that start to take over MTV that sound very, very different um, from early 90s stuff, from the grunge stuff. And I, I just see this as a pretty important fulcrum in, in kind of coalescing some of the attitudes and sound of the grunge stuff along with the kind of singer-songwriter and some of these other kinds of um, strands of rock that were less class, you know, in the forefront of the 90s into what becomes pop rock of, of, the, of the late 90s. Yeah, I mean, it. I think that's really interesting, and it kind of is of a piece with the the lyrical concern with with yoking together contradictory elements that you were talking mm. about, right? Mm. That like, um, it's it's folk, but it's rock. It's alternative, but it's mainstream. Mm. It's uh, it's it's mad, but it's whiny, baby. You know, and that like, and and what it all comes down to is that this record is going to sell, sell, sell. Um, that like I think that that you can do not to just like uh, there to a certain extent it's it's not the greatest thing to just yoke all these performers together because they happen to be women uh, releasing albums at the same time but like you know th- there was uh, uh, I I don't know I feel like the lineage you're talking about flows through Tori Amos all the way back to like Kate Bush a little bit yeah. Uh, and that that that's maybe the artier the artier side i feel like there's the kind of the more political side with ani defranco and she's yeah. she's sort of uh she has a little more class consciousness and she's also sort of talking about uh she's talking about um you know uh, bisexuality a little more and talking about identity in in a way that's that's maybe a little more provocative uh the indigo girls are one sarah mclaughlin is one um that these are all sort of counter examples right like jewel is one you said Mm -hmm. meredith brooks and that you know uh that that's coming up um like that this was this was a genre kind of like edgy uh you know 
edgy female fronted pop rock was sort of an MTV genre, uh, yeah, or an alternative, exactly. alternative radio genre in yeah, the, it was, a, it was, it became a format, right? Yeah, more <laughs> or less. Yeah. More or less. And that, I think this is an interesting record because it's, it's, um, because of how average the experiences that it's, it's talking about are, mm-hmm. Right. It's not a sort of it's not a a uh, non heterosexual album. Right. Like it's a it's a sort of heterosexual album. And that that like, uh, I don't know, makes it maybe relatable at that time to a mass to a mass audience. You know, um, it's not going to it's going to challenge certain of your preconceptions, but not all of them. Like not <laughs> not like not the the more fundamental ones about about what life is like and, and, uh, and what, uh, you know, what, what sorts of things are sort of the average expectable things to have happen in your know, relationships between, between men and women. Right. Like, and that, like, I think that that, like it, it's, um, you know, it's, it's challenging certain things, but not your worldview. You know, I, I was going to say, how do you not come up with, with, uh, how do you not come up with, with your question? I, I was going to ask, uh, uh, Ryan and Rachel, ought you to know? <laughs> and I, I mean, I, through which I, through which I was sort of, I was hoping to get at kind of, elements of the elements huh. of the social critique right like because yeah. because this isn't necessarily a song about patriarchy this is a song about an asshole boyfriend you know huh. and wow. and whether whether asshole boyfriends huh. are are a phenomenon uh of of patri- patriarchy right like that's that's not a question that we're necessarily equipped to answer in the mainstream culture at this point uh in huh. in the nineties yet, you know? So it's uh uh this is what I'm I mean, this is what I'm what I'm I'm getting at. And like what what you ought to what you ought to know um is is sort of different through time, you know? And that uh um it might be uh uh I don't know, this this might account for, for some of the the uh popularity, right? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, like the one quick reaction is in that construction, it, like the thing that it contrasts with is from the notorious BIG's uh, "Juicy," right? Which is if you don't know, now you know, right? And uh, and the construction here is well, you ought to know, <laughs> right? Like you should already know. Um, and I don't know how do, how are you how are you glossing? Ought, ought we know? It's interesting. Is like is. You know, you ought to know kind of imply that you should know. Yeah, exactly. Like, you should already know. Mm-hmm. Or is it like she feels an obligation to tell him? Yeah. you you ought. Is it you ought to know already or is it you ought to be informed? Formed. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I'm not like, I'm not totally sure which one it is. I think, I kind of read it as like you ought to be informed. Like, yeah. I you need to be informed of this. Um, like the way you call someone to say that, like, I don't know, they gave you herpes or something like, you, right. yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, Hey, you need to know this. Uh, is it? Yeah. Wait, which, which direction is that supposed to be? I guess, <laughs> I guess, I guess 
I guess if he gave her herpes. Hi, hi, one of us has herpes. I think both of us may have herpes. No, but I mean, that is how those conversations work, right? You find out you have herpes on the wall. Hey, everyone, everyone in this conversation. You might have it too, right? Everyone in this conversation who doesn't have herpes, take a step forward. Not so fast. (laughs) You ought to know something. (laughs) Well, let's, I mean, let's, but let's go into just like the course, right? So, um, because I think there's, I mean, it, it, talk about this is the banger of the bangers. I mean, I'm here to remind you of the mess you left when you went away. It's not fair to deny me of the cross eye bear that you gave to me. You, you, you ought to know. Yeah. So. <laughs> Oh, were you were you were you just teeing that? Were you just was that a was that a set? And one of us was supposed to spike it. So, so those are the words of the song. <laughs> uh, yeah. So okay, the, the, you, ought to, you ought to know what I wanted you to do next. So that yeah. So I think there it is like a, it's not that you should have known, like you should know better, or it, I think it is like I'm here to tell you, well, to remind you. I guess. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm here to give you the message. What, right, yeah. what is the bad thing? Right. What is the bad thing that he's doing? I think it's a little more subtle than just having having forgotten about her out of sight, out of mind. You know, Dave Coulier is now dating his future wife. Right. Like that, that like that's not the uh, that's not the th- the thing here. Um, I, 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 a lot of it depends on how you read of the mess you left. Right. Is the mess me? Like of me, the mess that you left me, the messy person you left when, when you went away. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Like the, the, uh, a, a little bit, the bad thing is sort of, is not just, uh, it's not just denial. It's not just ignoring her, but, but thinking that she's okay or that everything is, is, mm-hmm. is going to be okay. And the idea, you know, the idea is like, I'm, I'm, I'm here to remind you that I'm a mess and you left this mess. Bless this mess. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you left this mess. Uh, when you left, when you left me, um, I'm, I'm here to remind you of who I am is what I'm trying to get is, is what yeah. I'm trying to get at. I'm here to remind you of who I am and what I go through. Uh, and it's sort of about, um, it's about kind of validating and, and, uh, validating one's own experience and kind of being seen, you know, yeah, rather exactly. than, you know what I mean? Rather, rather than just like, Hey, you were a jerk to me. It's not, it's, it's, it's more subtle to the, than that. There's more to it than that. Um, and that's like, and, and you ought to know, uh, in that, like you ought to know is, is a little bit like, it would be good if you did know. Right. Um, uh, yeah. you know, I don't know. Like what, what is the, there's, there's so many, there's so many times like in, uh, I've had occasion to think about this, this recently, like what, when people want to like talk to you after a breakup, like what is the upside that you imagine? Right. Like what is the, like, what is your best case scenario of how this interaction is going to go? And, and how does that get you something that, how does that get you something that, that you want? And that's a little bit like, why, why Alanis do you have to talk to your ex? And what are you, what are you imagining the ex is going to do? Uh, or is that, is that important? You know, um, it's uh, it, it's 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 interesting. I think that I mean, this is like this is why it sort of sticks with you. There's a lot to it. 
I think it's it's like she's demanding a truth and the it's the Alanis Morissette Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission, right? I and I, I say this flipply, right? That that there, I think that in you know in in memory of like you know of 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 conflict, right, and of of like you know atrocities, right? That the 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 part of this practice of knowing, right, is is a is a like that there is a it's not, there's it's a validation but it's also by by so i think the opposite of the uh, of not knowing here is cuz like there's there's a knowing but not accepting of like you know in the back of of his his mind uh, he he you know knows deep down that she's probably not okay but that, there's a there's that kind of passive knowledge that's kind of in the background and then there's like the active knowledge and and the living with it right and a, and a, and a kind of a, an acceptance and acknowledgement uh of like of of like you know if if she is bearing this cross then i cuz i think it's like to to know is to also bear the cross in some way or to bear your own cross and and so um and, and so what she, what she is like fighting is the asymmetry of knowledge because like he can like because he, he can go a little bit out of sight out of mind but it's not just the out of sight out of mindness that is the problem but is that what that does to her and and how it kind of negates uh, how it negates her. So um, so by by him knowing, it's like recognizing her humanity and her existence, right? I don't know. Yeah, no, it, it's it is that. I mean, completely. It's it's needing to recognize. It's sort of like he needs to like he needs to publicly. He needs to sort of publicly acknowledge the what he the what what he needs to publicly acknowledge her and what he did, in 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 a way that you know it's very easy I guess in his position to sort of move on and be in the bubble with his new paramour. What what a I mean yeah I guess like public like publicly like like testify in open court you know I yeah. Well, but I think what's interesting is that it's one thing if this were just like a voicemail that she left, right? Um, but like, it's a huge pop song, right? Um, and so I think that the it th- that that's the other layer on which this works, right? Is that um, like now she she's already testified, right? And um, and so it's like there's an interesting thing of by this getting out there and the kind of the rawness of it, there was always this, right? Like, I mean, again, I, it would be fascinating to like survey people who were like, you know, you know, teenagers or in their early 20s who were MTV aware in the 90s of who is you ought to know about. And I think that a lot of people will, will come up with Dave Coulier, right? And I don't think he's ever formally acknowledged it but like the fact that that is that is common knowledge and he has to answer these questions <laughs> means that the song worked in a way <laughs> yeah i mean it's yeah it's interesting because yeah there there is a level of the song is like this notional thing that 
is a voicemail or is a, like a sort of showing up at his work inappropriately and confronting him or something like that. Um, but the uh, there there also there also is the level the, the kind of manifest level that that you rightly point out, which is that like this is a huge pop song and a a, a huge way to sort of uh, call out an ex lover. Well, yeah, because I mean, she actually says right in the second verse, "I hate to bug you in the middle of dinner," and that does like on the one hand, uh, the service level is like showing up at dinner, but like this is still a song or an album that could show up at any number of I don't know fast casual restaurants. Right. Like it's like I hate I hate to ruin your Chipotle again, Dave, <laughs> but I've got I've got one hand in my pocket and the other one's giving you the finger forever <laughs> for all of eternity. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean. You know, and like it's yeah. I mean, I think this idea. I think Matt like was asking like, what does he need to do to testify? I think it's like he. I think the testify in this case is like not be with this new woman, huh. because by publicly being or how he has to be with this new woman in secret, hmm. right? By publicly being with a new woman, that is like the sort of like the the denial of like the. You know, it was like the denial of the Holocaust or something, right? It like, you know, like the emotional, you know. It's Look, like, I, I don't mean to god. I don't mean to godwin our relationship, but you dating someone else is like Hitler gassing millions of Jews. Okay, I, I mean, I don't. You know, I'm not one for false equivalences, but. You know. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like it is like that is like the act of denial, right? It's like the you know, like uh, that is the act of denial that that this is just this is just a guy getting on in life with a new boo. <laughs> but no, <laughs> no, he did not. He did not, and he he left a, a path of emotions and and and, and tears and bad behavior of, of one point or an emotionally dishonest behavior. Yeah. Well, I'm not quite sure what I'm not, it's not totally clear to me what he did. Right. Right. Like, I agree. that's interesting. Right. <laughs> you know, that like, I, you know, I, cause it's totally like, I, I get it. Like you're dating someone else now and like, uh, something happened. Was was he an asshole boyfriend? Was the breakup bad? What, did he cheat on her and then leave her? Like, what's you know, uh, what what exactly was the uh, was the thing? Or was it? Is it just that like she's taking the breakup harder than than he is? You know, uh, it's and and a little bit like what, um. I don't know what 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 are his obligations under those circumstances, you know? Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting in terms of these obligations, right? Because it's that, um, right? I think that one of these, like uh, the lines, right? Is, Does she know how you told me you'd hold me until you died? Until you died. But you're still alive, right? It's it's like contract. It's like a, a material breach of contract, right? right. Like- no, yeah, it is. It is. I, I I I do think that is there. It's like it's. I mean, because even like you know, she does call him Mister Duplicity, and I don't think that's enough to sort of like immediately jump to like, all right, that's the textual basis for saying that there was like a, an affair. But I do think there is something here about the song, like. Obviously, they were in a very committed relationship, right? Or it felt, or it was like serious. 
Yeah, I mean these that. these kids these kids the kids today go down in in uh, in a theater all the time. But uh, uh, well, the uh, thing is, I mean now now you can just Netflix and chill. So this is actually just an <laughs> right. yeah, entirely can... uh, alien concept. Right, you could set up a Tinder arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> Only goes down in theaters. <laughs> right, you can express your preferences like pretty clearly in that way. No, but. Uh, you know, I do think there is like there was this like serious commitment, and it's yeah, it's the emotional, dis- it's the sense of like I don't understand. I thought we were in a serious, committed relationship, and I guess we, I guess we weren't, or I guess we were, I guess we did not. Yeah, it's the duplicity anyone feels. Like I guess you felt differently about me, uh, that this was so. It, well, you know, and it's and it doesn't have to be like a, a single act that occurred. It's just like the sen- the sensation that someone was not like emotionally honest with you. Well, this, isn't, yeah. yeah, this moving from like what she believed was like a very serious committed relationship that was like you know, I mean that that I mean the language of you know. Um, you know, being together till death. I mean, that's the language of a marriage vow, even if it's not, you know, uh, you're not married. Um, and then it seems like part of the setup or the inciting incident is that he is now in a relationship that is of the same level of intensity mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a very short turnaround time, which then che- to her cheapens everything, especially because it, it like, I guess this is like, ultimately a, um, you know, it, this is, it, it's both, you know, we say that it is about, you know, um, the one relationship, but it is kind of also potentially also about the institution of serial monogamy itself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, of like, uh, because it's like, uh, it, that, that if you are not, if you if you're bringing a monogamous gun, a monogamous knight to a serial monogamy gunfight, you're going to be in trouble um, because like uh, if someone else you know believes they're just like you know it's like yeah yeah we're death until I part or until this you know does not work out anymore. That is different from a uh, taking it literally, right? And and I think that there is that kind of like failure to understand is kind of this this breach um but but like there's definitely a lot of like putting that on um on 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 him yeah no and i think there's it's interesting it's like talking about like what it means to be in a bad like talking about the song like makes me think generally bad breakups and it's like i think there's a certain level of like I think sometimes like a big part of what animates the rage in a situation like this is also just being embarrassed, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's like a certain amount of uh, I don't know. It, it's like she's just like, like really upset that she's been so embarrassed like this. How dare you embarrass me, Dave Coulier? <laughs> <laughs> I sucked your dick in a theater, and this is how you repay me. <laughs> what did it, this is embarrassing for me. <laughs> You were in Full House. <laughs> and I am a successful pop star. Well, I mean, she at the point that she wrote this, she wasn't. It's actually something she like... Wasn't, yeah. yeah, the the the, uh, the song Right Through You see, uh, treads sort of similar things. So it's a little... It's a little... Uh, uh, more specific about what the slights are, which generally have to do with being ignored or belittled. Uh, you mispronounce my name. Um, 
you know, uh, you took me for a child. You took uh, you took me out to wine dine sixty nine me, which was just like. By the way, that lyric as a teenager was just like almost impossibly uh, exotically dirty because um, <laughs> you, you know you sort of couldn't couldn't imagine that this was within the realm of things that that people could do with with one another, right? Like that. So so these the, you know th- this is about being exploited, being belittled, being being uh, treated as a meal ticket or as a sexual con- conquest. And then um, in the third verse, there's the, the revenge verse, um, right? Like, uh, now that I'm Miss Thing, now that I'm a zillionaire, you scan the credits for your name and wonder why it's not there. And this is like, she'd already had some, some pop success uh, nationally in, in Canada with, with her first album as, a, a, you know, as an even younger woman. Um, she was pretty young when this record came out. This was 95. She was born in 74. So she's 21 at, you know, at this yeah. point. And, uh, uh, and apparently like has, has lived a lot of life experience wise, you know, um, the, the, uh, the, the thing it's, it's almost a little bit of, of, uh, wishful thinking at, at this point. Now, like the year after this record came out, it, it was just like, you know, cold, hard, gimlet eyed, uh, reality. Um, but at this point, the, the idea of like, I'm a zillionaire, I'm Miss Thing, right? Like the, this is, uh, uh, sort of a revenge fantasy more than it is actual revenge at this point. Yeah, but it, yeah, you're right. That it became a self fulfilling revenge fantasy, right? <laughs> right. It's be, be the be the revenge you want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's, I think the other song that kind of connects with some of this um, thematically, just in terms of being kind of speaking to these. <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the, like. Uh, annoying men um, is uh, is not the doctor also um, and I I've, uh, this one always jumped out at me every time it came around um, on these listens um, and it was one I think that was like the the newest for me or it hadn't it hadn't you know risen up as much um, you know when I was listening uh, you know 22 years ago right and this is the one that goes uh, I don't want to be the filler if the void is solely yours um, I don't want to be your glass of single malt whiskey hidden in the bottom drawer I don't want to be a bandage if the wound is not mine uh, lend me some fresh air um, I don't want to be adored for what I merely represent to you I don't want to be your babysitter you are a very big boy now I don't want to be your mother I didn't carry you in my womb for nine months show me the back door um and, and, and i mean what <laughs> <laughs> why me dive me 69 if you I mean, sure i'll show you the back door um the uh yeah the, this is sort of interesting again like again you know she's she's sort of 21 she's relatively young and seems to have had a lot of uh a lot of experience of being uh, you know, uh, being used as either like, uh, uh, I don't know, like an affair or something like that, or as a, someone, you know, be someone's being someone's, um, 
Oh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Being used by someone to like, uh, uh, being used used by someone for her sort of youth or for you know caretaking or something. Yeah, something kind of like, like emotional that. emotional care work. Right? right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's like, and and it's interesting. There's there's there is that this weird kind of yoking together of contradictions in it. Like either you you like take a long hard look at at, at my ass is in uh, right through you, but then also like I don't want to be a bandage if the wound isn't mine or even the the line i don't want to be uh, uh, your glass of single malt whiskey hidden in the bottom drawer this is like you know the illicit i don't want to be an illicit uh thing that you crave and that kind of soothes you but that is you know but that has to be like hidden that has to be seen okay, well, at the time of this album she was not aged nearly as long as most very fine single malt whiskeys <laughs> yeah, right? Like, right like this would be like not like the top top shelf of a, of a whiskey like yeah i mean <laughs> <That's> uh, <21. laughs> I, I, you know, I don't know. I get like Dave Coulier is a lot older than she is. Yes, that right? is, I, I, I know this that as well on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, and she also came, she also sort of ended up talking publicly about some, some, uh, stuff with, with older men at like an inappropriately young age or early in her life. So, you know, maybe this is her, this is her life experience, right? Like, yeah. The, oh, yeah, yeah. that like, um, she's sort of, she's sort of accustomed to, uh, uh, she's sort of accustomed to being like uh, exploited, to being used in this particular way, and the and the um, and being to a certain extent uh, objectified or kind of conscripted into someone else's fantasy life. And I, the thing that that strikes me about this song um, is not just her rejection of that role, but the the very clear. Um, metaphorical language she has for describing it like the yeah. like the very clear picture she can paint about these unhealthy dynamics and what exactly yes. is wrong with all of them yep. uh, yeah that's what's that's what struck me about the song as well is yeah. and it, it and it felt like i don't know strikingly kind of modern in kind of like how it's kind of thinking about this these as kind of infractions right um because it's like these like things that are painted as like you know it's it's like this is even like weirdly cuts deeper because I mean you know even though uh, the specific infraction is not named and you ought to know it's like you sense there was a romantic wrong but here these kinds of like she's pointing out much more kind of subtle relationship dynamics through the lens of these these metaphors that like that I think cuts a lot deeper in terms of like unraveling um, some certain certain dynamics yeah. I mean the the I guess like just sort of looking through the lyrics the the sin here is objectification right it's sort of like treating a person as a means and mm-hmm. that's like in that uh uh and and the the yeah the the sort of the, the ways in which that can happen are uh, manifold um I don't know yeah isn't it yeah. isn't it ironic <laughs> let's yes let's <laughs> um so yeah, yeah so I mean, let me tell you a little story <laughs> um i think I've, i don't think i've told the story on the podcast uh before but uh 
uh, if I have, I haven't told it for a while. Um, and, and just to introduce uh, something about the massiveness of, of this song. Uh, so um, the first time I went to Kenya in 2006, um, I was uh, invited by a friend, by a contact. Um, uh, this was in my first week there to go see a band. Uh, and I said, this is a local band. It's one of my favorite bands. And I'm like, great, I'm going to hear some Kenyan music. Um, and I walk in and the, I, re, I will always remember that when I walked in, the band was playing, um, breakfast at Tiffany's by deep blue something. Uh, and this was a, a Kenyan band that was doing entirely this kind of like soft pop rock of the mid to late nineties, uh, oeuvre. Um, and it was, it was uh, it was delightful, uh, and there were um, people were jumping up and down and singing along. Um, and so during the uh, the break between sets, uh, my friend introduced me to the band, and I said, yeah, "You know, I, I do play drums." <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, and uh, and they're like, oh, you should you should play. What do you uh, what, what do you know? I'm like, well, they're like, here's our repertoire, and they have their list of all the songs they cover. And I looked through, and I, and I said, you know, I think what I would like to play with you is ironic by Alanis Morissette. <laughs> <laughs> and so we did, um, and it was. <laughs> how 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 was it? Was it you know you you proud of your work on that? <laughs> yeah, you no, know, it was. I, I you know I have to say I wish I had a video. Um, <laughs> I, I wish I wish the uh, ubiquity um, you know of yeah, of video. Uh, you know I wish I had. A, I was wearing a GoPro uh, <laughs> for that one. Uh, but yeah, it was it was good. I, I think we we rocked quite hard um i think this is interesting i think that it to play this song live this gets back to something that rachel says um is that i think and, and, and you know you and kind of bridge something with rachel was saying about the production and what you were saying um about the acoustic version is that this is a album that could also lend itself to another live album uh maybe for 25 uh with a with a like a pretty hard rock band. Um, and you know, you know that, uh, I think on, uh, you ought to know both flea and Dave Navarro played and maybe get them together. Um, or a kind of another set of kind of alt rock all stars because to play it. Um, I mean, I just, I definitely chose, uh, and, and I think the band kind of followed me to interpret this as a, as a harder rock song <laughs> than, uh, than it was. And so when that rain came down on the, on the wedding day, it was, let's just say it was, it was a November wedding. <laughs> um, uh, and, and we definitely, uh, we definitely, uh, rocked it. We rocked it a lot harder than I think on, a, uh, on the album. Um, and, and I think that, that uh, when that chorus hits, um, it really, it's uh, right. The, the song and talking about like one of these things we've been coming back to again and again, is this yoking together of opposite things. And I think it is, um, the, the, the way this song kind of builds, uh, it doesn't build, right. It's just that the, um, verses are very kind of calm. Um, and then um, the rain on the wedding day is um, it, it, it really it opens up out of nowhere. It does. It has that alternative rock loud, soft, loud dynamic. Right. Yeah, like it, exactly. This, this song smells like teen spirit. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, this is this is this is the realization of you know this is the ap- apotheosis of the pixies, right? <laughs> um, I don't know. Do you have Rachel? Do you do you have any ironic feelings? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I feel like we've. I, I think this is like I don't know. To me, this is also like the very. It is a very like anthemic '90s song um, because I think it is, and I think Alanis Morissette's a little guilty of this. It does to me. It's like the height of, um, it's the height of. I mean, she I literally asked, "Don't you think?" Which to me <laughs> is sort of like like just the success of two. It really makes you think, <laughs> right? And and you know, which which is usually like. Asked by someone who just said something that like doesn't really make you think all that much, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I would say like there is something about this song that it's like it's very uh, like of its time in that it's yeah. like all of these statements that don't really make me think that much, other than like yeah, that's unfortunate, that sucks. <laughs> I don't know, that's a thing. That's the thing that happened to that guy. I mean, especially I think the one that's the cue there is also the black fly in your Chardonnay. Chardonnay. Well, like, it seems like very low stakes compared to like, that, well, the that, rest of the song. That that and that's all right, and it's rhymed with death row pardon. Two minutes too late. Right. Like, and it's sort of like, well, let's not trivialize this by like, by, you know, by yoking it together with this other image. Um, Although I think it is interesting. I think what, what it gets, where it gets contextualized is that all of the other things are being discussed at the cocktail party where the black fire also landed in the Chardonnay. <laughs> right. And it's like, oh, did you hear about that? That, that, that throw in my, he got pardoned two minutes too late. Oh. That's ironic, don't you think? Oh, oh I do. I do. Oh, oh there's a fly in your Chardonnay. Oh man, uh, something to think about there. <laughs> really, aren't we just like this fly in the Chardonnay? <laughs> and I, you know, it's it's on the one hand, I think I think what like the song is kind of getting at, which I think is a pretty universal feeling, is kind of a you know, life is fleeting, like life is like you know kind of having to sort of appreciate appreciate life or like i sort of understand that like you're not like or 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 feel comfortable with like randomness and that you don't always control like your your destiny but i do think like the way it's sort of put put together is very much of this i think of its time and this kind of like I don't know, like faux profit or something. Uh, but that said, I do think that's kind of like a, like one of the Alanis Morissette like styles of of that's one of her avenues, right? Is she kind of writes lyrics like this? Well, this is a guy she has. She's like the wizened prophet. I, but I think that there is. I think that it's also the slacker prophet. It's like yeah, bit. yeah, Cause exactly. Because like, I think that. The thing about this and of this kind of profundity is, and, and I think it's there in the chorus, right? Because there's another list of these, and it's it feel, it's building, right? So it's like rain on your wedding day. It's a free ride when you've already paid. It's the good advice that you just didn't take. And it's like, all right, it's we're building up for the big revelation, for the big idea that sums it all together. Who would have thought it figures? 
<laughs> right. Really makes you think. It really makes you think. Uh, like, you think. Who would have thought it figures just like is this is such a drop, right, from this build? Uh and so it is this kind of like it ends right, uh uh it ends with with um like neither a bag nor a whimper, but just a shrug, right? Um and, and I think so it's like Alanis Morissette is the first shrug emoji. <laughs> um mm. and uh and and and, and I think that that is that kind of slacker. Uh, that's that kind of classic kind of right in the meat of this kind of Gen X kind of uh, uh, vibe. Well, I think just uh, to sum up everything that we've said uh, on this podcast. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh that's it for this <laughs> That's it for this episode of TFT. Uh follow us on Twitter uh, at TFT Podcast on Facebook we're Theory for Turntables. Uh come into the comments of the show notes. Let us know whether or not uh it is ironic whether or not you really do think. Thank you very much to Ryan and Rachel. Thank you for listening. Uh, until next week. Keep it real. <laughs>